Welcome to Devil Horns. This is episode six. I am Corey here with my two very wonderful co-hosts, Mike Zombie. Good evening, sir. Well, thank you for joining us yet again. Good evening. Great, great to be part of the show. Thanks for having me. Hi, everybody. Playing the home game. Hello. Oh, and for all three of us, it's been a quite a crazy couple weeks here, just uh, scheduling things and getting stuff together. And uh, this topic tonight, man, is going to be fantastic and preparing for this um, has been trying for at least some of us. And uh, so I appreciate all the hard work, Mike, and, uh, you know, all the crazy things you've had to do to record with us here and get this episode out, man. Crazy things like just be punctual. You're welcome. I I do my best. I mean, (laughs) deal with all the craziness in your life and still be here to hang out and everything. And, uh, of course, New Jersey Nick. Sir. Good evening, man. Yeah. Really like the uh, last couple of episodes we, you did on your own interviewing dudes. Oh, cool, cool. Thank you. Thank you. Those just sort of all happened at once here, and it was, wasn't really intentional that uh, I get all this big group of interviews because there's still another one coming out. Um, but, uh, yeah, a lot of fun, so I appreciate that. Phil, well, Phil Ensemble is a huge deal for, yeah, our, yeah. for our little rinky-dink podcast, eh? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, he was more than awesome, and... Um, yeah, I was just, I was just holding back. We were talking before the show, like, you know, I could have so easily just slipped into fanboy mode and said, "What was it like standing there beside Dimebag Daryl and Pantera? You know, every night, you know." And, and actually, I could have turned it into like a, a you know, <laughs> what was Dime like sort of interview, um, which right. I didn't want to do. So uh, I read on the internet that you have your own tour bus. Is this true? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you remember that time when you were in Pantera? <laughs> Isn't that great? You were so wasted. <laughs> so wasted. Uh, but epic, epic interview, Corey. Thanks for, th- thank you for doing the hard work and bringing um, probably the biggest name in in '90s metal and certainly, um, I guess I would call it stoner metal today uh, to the show. And uh, kudos to you, sir. That's amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Of course, it's a long process, especially uh, big names. Uh, it's a long process of like getting interviews, scheduling times, because actually I've been talking with his guys for months and months and months. Um, I interviewed his, uh, the co-founder of the Housecore Horror Film Festival, Corey Mitchell, back like, oh man, like five months ago or something like that. And that was the time I was actually supposed to interview Philip at that point. But uh, the scheduling got all messed up and they're like, well, here, why don't you talk to Corey instead? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, he's cool. I'll, I'll talk to him. They're like, yeah, we'll, we'll schedule you for Philip. Don't worry. And it's been up until now that finally, just last week, uh, that sort of everything came together and we got scheduling times worked in. And uh, so, yeah, that and the Hank 3 interview, the, you know, everything just dropped at the same time. And it's, uh, it's really cool and it's an honor for me to do it. And, uh, hope I can do these, these good names justice and uh, not sound like a, an idiot. <laughs> Although that does happen. Just inevitable for me. But, oh, well. No. More interviews to come. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah, but, and by the way, thanks for setting the fucking, the standard marker pretty fucking high. Oh, great. (laughs) Am I going to bring the show now? Yeah, well, check it out. I got the guys from Night Ranger. No? (laughs) Fuck. All right. (laughs) Thanks, Corey, for bringing (laughs) the diamond to the show. And and they totally want to talk to us, Night Ranger. I I bet they would. 
I bet they would. They're no. Uh, almost. <laughs> I almost mentioned another interview we're having trouble getting. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens there. But uh, yeah, I would talk to Night Ranger. Why not, man? We should really try to get Striper. Wouldn't that be kind of funny? That would be great. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah, they're they're active on Facebook, man. I see them see them posting all the time, and they're very positive, and you know, very. <laughs> Thanks. And for they got the first Jack album I stole, Michael Sweet. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. And they have Jack fuck all to do right now, you know. Right. What What are they doing? That's so great. They're still doing their thing, you know. Like I said, they're still recording and touring and stuff, and I'm sure it's just clubs and. They got okay. five minutes to talk to Corey. Why don't Why don't we have a contest between between the three of us? See who can bring the most ridiculous <laughs> band to the show yes. for an interview. Oh, I mean, I'm talking like I got Trickster guys. Remember Trickster from 1994? Got him. Let's have that kind of contest. Yeah, that might I, be I got and dangerous treat them with toys. respect. <laughs> oh shit! Oh, that totally blows Trickster out of the water. Oh man. So what are we <laughs> talking amazing. about this week? Oh, what do wow. we have on today's episode? Oh wow! Well, it's another uh, you know, it's another sort of big, controversial topic. A big band. They've sold a lot of records, made a lot of money, but um, they've certainly changed over the years. It's a band that has, you know, really rose to fame throughout the '90s. In the late '90s, they hit their peak and influenced a ton of bands. I think they're they're uh, solely responsible for bringing new metal uh, into the mainstream and just sparking that whole. What I think is a mess a lot of times uh, that's called new metal. And uh, I'm sorry, people who are new metal fans out there. But uh, we're going to talk about Korn, specifically uh, what happened to Korn you know, along or, the lines or, of uh, yeah. our Metallica thing. Dude, also, you could even call this what was Korn in the first place? Hey, uh, what did they become? What are they now? Lots of question marks. Uh, yeah, yeah. And this. Uh, it might be even more difficult to define than Metallica because it's really so bizarre, a lot of the things that have gone on. So uh, we're going to attempt to answer some questions and just go through um, our personal histories with Korn and um, how they've held up today, um, if, if they even have. So anyhow, before we get into discussion, which is going to be a lot of fun, I have our one minute with Korn, and it's truly a minute. I think I went a minute five here. But this represents um, pretty much just their first four albums, and, and you'll discover why later on. Because if I were to try to pick representative tracks from their albums, I think beginning with, uh, I can't even remember now, The Untouchables or so, whatever album came after Issues, um, from there on, I couldn't pick any songs because I didn't listen to them hardly at all after that. So what you're hearing is pretty much Korn's heyday and a representative mishmash of what they were doing. So let's take a listen. You call yourself a singer, yep. you're more like Jerry Springer. Your favorite band is Winger, and all you eat is zingers. You're like a fruity pebble, your favorite flag is Rebel. It's just too bad that you're a faggot on a lower level. My friends travel around. 
There we go. Jonathan Davis is an emotional man. Oh, man. I don't know if you could hear me laughing slightly in the background, because when you smash all of corn together like that, it sounds fucking ridiculous. (laughs) Holy shit, man. Yeah. Now, um, personally, I started listening to corn back in the day, um, back like right probably like 96, 97, right when the first album came out. I was a teenager. I was in high school. I was bombarded with fucking corn. Uh, as soon as like life is peachy, like right in that area, man, I, that's how I came into corn. Um, how did you guys, I, I believe, Mike, you didn't really uh, discover them back in the day, eh? No, I, I heard the radio hits at the time and didn't like them. So I, I, uh-huh. I, I delved no further into it. I didn't like it. Wow. Wow. I, uh, I started listening to them, I want to say, uh, probably 1995, because I remember it was my freshman year in college. And uh, they had come out, and uh, they had their song Blind uh, was on some sort of compilation of like new alternative hits that my roommate had in college. And Dude, the- I bet I know the one, because that's exactly where I first oh, heard them, was nice. on a mix of the first X Games soundtrack. I think that was it, yes. <laughs> and I'm like, and actually that was the only song on pretty much the whole thing that I liked. And I'm like, wow. This, and it, to me, it sounded different, because um, Korn, I think, has a very, very unique, distinct sound uh, in most of their stuff. Uh, if you if you listen, uh, you know you're listening to a corn song when it comes on. You know you can usually identify them. They have a lot of sort of signature techniques. Um, I think on all all levels um, that uh, they use that uh, identifies them. But no, I heard it, and it was at a, a point in time when uh, I was just starting to uh, uh, play bass and guitar and stuff, and I was getting really interested. The reason I picked bass is because I love the lowness of it. You know, the guitars for me, it never went low enough. I love just the deep, the deep thud that you could get with a bass. And that was why I was, uh, I think, first attracted to Korn, because their sound on their first several albums, and they're still trying to do it now, but I think they've really thinned it out. Um, but man, on, the, on their first few albums, the sound is very thick, uh, very uh, layered. Of course, you know, they had two rhythm guitarists, uh, no lead guitarist at all. They never did solos. Um, and uh, except, well, I'll get into that. They actually sort of have done solos. But uh, uh, for all intents and purposes, they were pretty much a rhythm oriented band. Um, and those guitars are so thick. And I was fascinated with, uh, you know, Nick, like you said, they were they were just bombarded in the media. You know, you saw these guys, they were, they had a really dark image right off the bat. And that's what I perceived anyhow, very dark. Um, you know, these guys, they were always on the cover of every magazine out there. Uh, they were, they, they had dreads and they were always just looking mean and everything. So I'm like, wow, corn, you know, this is a, who are these guys, you know? And um, I got to tell you, they introduced me to the seven string guitar and the possibilities that that kind of thing opens. Um, of course, it had been around before Korn. Uh, they didn't invent the seven-string guitar, although they did. Um, I think they worked with, I want to say Ibanez or uh, whatever uh, company, uh, to make their own custom seven-strings, and they were really picky about that. But I had never been aware of like seven-string guitars. I was just of the mindset that you know you had six-string guitars, you had four-string basses. And then a bunch of weird instruments other than that. But guitars were six strings, bass were four strings. And so they introduced me to the seven string guitar, the five string bass. 
Um, and I just love the lowness of it, that thick, thick sound that they achieved. Um, and dude, I was a fan for a lot of years. I got to tell you, I loved uh, the first album. I loved Life is Peachy. I, um, I pretty much loved Follow the Leader and, uh, and then, you know, Issues um, after that is, is sort of the point where I'm just like, wow, Corin, you're sort of the ACDC of new metal here because you've, you know, been putting out the same album for a lot of years and uh, <laughs> people are still buying it. Oh, yep. Uh, so uh, glad you said that. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I don't know. That that was my general history. Did you want to look at it a little, maybe album by album, album as we go here? Like, uh, I mean, specifically, Corn, the first album, not the band. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, Blind was like their super mega hit that was their breakthrough. But I'd kind of at this point in my life, like it was fun. It's a great song to watch people, uh, you know. Um, crash cars too, or whatever it was that we were doing back in the nineties. I don't oh. know. But what's what? hello? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Mike, are you there? Oh, hello. Are we there? Yes, Mike. Whoa, what happened? Hey, don't know, dude. Uh, <laughs> did you just black out, Mike? Again? Did, I, did did my computer prevent me from hearing something blasphemous? Are you talking <laughs> no. about corn? No, yes, literally, it, was... it just, I just froze up. I'm sorry. I'm back. It's okay. Oh. So anyway. Blind was their super mega hit back in the day. It was uh, the the soundtrack to every extreme sports video you could watch. But honestly, I would put that on the list of songs I never, ever fucking want to hear again. <laughs> like, <Yep. laughs> I've heard it a billion, million times, dude. To me, that song doesn't even sound like Corn anymore. Kind of like the way I look at, like, what's Radiohead's first hit? Uh, Creep. Creep. Creep doesn't sound like Radiohead right. to me anymore. You yeah, know what well, I they mean? Don't, they don't play it anymore. They don't even. So. Yeah, they yeah. they've even said that like they heard it in like a diner when they were eating one day, and they were like, "Oh, this is a good song. Oh, it's our song," you know. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that Blind for Corn must be the same fucking way, dude. Where it's just like, uh, you know, no, you know, dude. Yeah. They still play it live. I I watched the they live. Do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <sighs> There yeah. were other good songs on that album, though. I mean, I, I, you know, listening back to it, it, it is very raw um, and somewhat underproduced and under-engineered compared to their later albums where it, it's just, like, obviously very studio-made. You know what I mean? Oh, later man. on, this is still, like, raw. It at least sounds like someone is playing with... Um, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. dude, and there's some good songs on there. I liked hearing Faggot again. I liked hearing Clown again. I liked going back and listening to this album again, you know, once. I wasn't going to put it on all day. <laughs> it's just something about this mu- music, man, that fits so well into the zeitgeist of the post-grunge. Um, you, you know, there was still a market for teen angst after after grunge died. And it needed to go somewhere, and it kind of went to this heavier place. And being that I liked heavier music, I appreciated what they were. And at first, trust me, at first, when I first heard Korn, I was kind of like, you know what? I think this shit sucks. I think it sucks. And then, like, you know, it grew on me for a little, and I kind of went with the flow of the zeitgeist. And then, like, once that zeitgeist is gone, you kind of don't want to revisit it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. To me, the, a blind, uh, even listening back to it, and even back in the day when I was uh, really, really into it, blind kind of became one of my least favorite tracks. Um, especially, you know, I, I think my favorite one on there might be uh, Clown. Um, you know, I just, uh, Clown and Faggot, actually, the two that uh, you mentioned, Nick. Um, mm-hmm. Very thick 
you know, and I just, I, I love just, you know, John Davis, man, he can sound so badass sometimes. And he does it on those songs, but I, I think uh, he, he sort of championed the whole, like, you know, I was beat up a lot in high school, and I was the, I was the nerd, and I was the guy that everyone hated, and I got spit on, and, and everything, and now I'm coming back, and I'm, I'm writing this heavy music, and what are you going to do about it? And, and Spawned, I think, there were a lot of bands out there that were... <laughs> I think going after that same kind of thing, like we were the nerds in school, but look at us now. We can play heavy music and and act all badass. And uh, so, oh, yeah, you know, he he was so good at a lot of things. But, you know, I had to put that crying clip at the end, you know, of that montage, because there were times and I'm sorry, I'd listen. It's almost like I start I start laughing at that. You know, it's it's terrible. But I'm just like, John, get a hold of yourself, man. I mean, did you listen to the album you just recorded? I mean, come on, come on! You're, right. you're you're badass. You're not you're not cowering in the corner in tears. I mean, you're you're a man here. I don't know, and not to, I don't mean anything by that, but it's just yeah, I don't know. He a lot of coolness just taken away by his whininess and crying. Yeah, I mean, I remember being in college, you know, about five years after Corn hit, and was already starting to come down from their peak. And like a friend of mine was like, you know, I heard this new Corn song. And um, it's like he's still singing about what sounds like, you know, being made fun of and beat up in high school. But he's like in his 30s now. And I'm like just starting college and I don't even remember what happened to me in high school. And I got over that pretty quick. And he's still crying about it. That's, you know, stupid. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to buy this new album. But yeah, no, man. And I mean, granted, a lot of these songs are about abuse and being abused too. Yeah. And I don't, yeah. I don't think that I don't want people to think that we're making light of that. But um, I, I think that the the message, of these two sort of the bullying versus the abuse, those two themes repeat over and over and over again throughout Korn's music, so that they're still writing songs like that today. And I mean, we'll come to that a little bit later on when we get into the really what the fuck happened to Korn <laughs> bit <laughs> later on. But, I mean, I think thematically they never grew as a band out of what is essentially presented on the first album. Right. Right on. Yeah, they, they experimented musically um, after a certain point in time. But, uh, yeah, you're right, man. He just he, he never got over it. And, and he's been through some bad, bad stuff. I mean, we're not downplaying that. Like Nick said, uh, we know. And he's, he's you know, been more than open about that in his lyrics and interviews and things. Um, yeah, he, he's gone through some stuff that we, we haven't. And so, you know, maybe it's hard for us to really identify the pain there, but you'd think after 20 some years, you know, you'd move on to some other, uh, lyrical content, but there's not a whole lot there. Mike, uh, what, what do you think of this first album? Can you isolate that from all the stuff you, you just sort of recently listened to just in preparation from the show? Um, anything, any comments about this one in particular? Uh, well, I kind of lumped all my shitty comments together. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. To me, I didn't much care for the music. Um, and I and this is news to me. I'm actually learning, uh, unlike all of our listening audience that probably loves Corn, I'm learning here today about, uh, I guess, the abuse and everything else. I certainly didn't read any of the lyrics. Um, so I don't know. But hearing you guys talk... And uh, since you guys have listened to most of the albums, there's still it's still the same sales pitch 
and to me, it makes sense. Uh, and I, I will certainly give a nod to Jonathan Davis. Is that his name? I'm sorry. See how yeah, much yes. I know? Okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> I'm not a fan. I won't pretend to be. And I'll, I'll, uh, certainly a nod to him and a nod to Marilyn Manson. I think they are both brilliant salespeople because they're selling a message over and over and over of, oh, my God, we don't fit in, but we're strong because we stand together and we're tough because we had to stick it out. And they're selling this message to teenagers, young teenagers, 13, 14 years old, as if they are like-minded in the same age. It's a beautiful sales pitch. It's a beautiful way to work your way into the psyche of almost every kid. And I'll even add even a lot of the popular kids that feel mm. ostracized. It's a brilliant marketing move. Uh, it's a shame that the music, uh, I guess, in, on Corn's side, the music didn't change as much. But if the message stays the same, I mean... Jesus, how long can you ride bad things happen to me? You know what? Uh, my father was, and this is just me speaking personally, my father was a brilliant man. He was also uh, incredibly violent. Um, he stood trial for murder. Um, wasn't shy about disciplining at home and was a fucking disgusting animal. Did a lot of fucked up shit that I wouldn't discuss uh, with people I don't know. But you know what? I fucking rose up just fine, and now I just cry and wear a dress. No, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> but you know what? How long can you ride that? At, at some point, you have to say in your life, you know what? Some really fucked up things happened to me when I was a kid. But I'm a man now, and that shit can't hurt me anymore. And I've got to live my life stronger. So when, when musicians especially, I mean, get it out of your system, yeah. But when you sell the same shit over and over and over, to me it becomes either, either you're not getting past your demons or it's a marketing ploy. Well, see, yeah, that definitely hurts bands. Now, with Marilyn Manson, I think that a lot of people have that perception of of Marilyn Manson's having been about that because at his peak, like right through um the like I would say like the first 3 albums of Marilyn Manson the band um, that's pretty much what the songs were about. Were about like not fitting into this weird world one way or another. You know what I mean? And um as his music changed over time, because at least, like, yeah, modern-day Marilyn Manson music doesn't sound like the old stuff. It's not very good <laughs> compared to the old stuff. But, I couldn't tell you. I don't listen to it either. So I dude, I, I've heard – I mean, I, I was a huge, huge Marilyn Manson fan back in the day. But as time wore on, like, the, the albums just, like, after his peak, you know, just weren't as good. And, like, nowadays they're just – uh, you know, they're about different things th thematically. And once you're you're someone who really sold on the whole teen angst angle, you can't sell again like like, uh, you, you know, you can't continually sell off that. And I mean, I don't think that he was really trying to so much later on, but it, obviously like people people overlook you later on because you fit into that sort of portion of their life. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, but but I, I would even disagree with you a bit in that, as that you don't ever have to be over the teen angst because there's always going to be teens, well, always going to be teens dying to fit in. Yeah, you may lose, you may lose the the groups that's been with you, but guess what? They're they're 25 now, and they had their own concerns and a home and a child and all these other things, and they don't want to go back and live that. So maybe they would like something new, but you're always going to have that crop of kids that are awkward, always. Right, but they are always going to want the new thing. They don't want the last generation's teen angst guy. You yeah, know they I mean? have to identify with somebody that you know is uh, at least near their age. You know, which is not Marilyn Manson at this point. You know, and it's I, not I didn't mean to make this, this about. 
Yeah, I didn't mean to make this about Marilyn Manson, but I thought I thought him and him and Jonathan Davis, no, that's a great their parallel. message was yeah. similar. I mean, yeah, but but we can certainly take that back to Corn. I mean, so you guys are saying that they're still selling the same message even on the new albums, dude? I I was um I did a little bit of research just because I was like, I I thought that we maybe should look into some of the new songs and stuff, <laughs> and like I listened to the new song Never Never, which comes off their new album that comes out October the eighth, in fact. And if you listen to it, the lyrics are like, I'll never love again. I'll never love again. Dude, really? You're singing about like the same shit again. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try and look up online to, so that I can actually – I should have done this before. But I'm going to find the lyrics to it and I will read it to you. But I am not going to pretend to be Jonathan Davis as I read it. Oh, um, nobody can be Jonathan Davis. And that's uh, um, the thing with him too. Like he still sings the same. He doesn't – his voice – he just doesn't have the vocal ability and the range to really do a whole lot with his voice. And so to me, it's like he almost sings the same sort of melodies and the same sort of dynamics oh and stuff over mm-hmm. and over and over again. And it's uh, it doesn't work. I mean, I think it worked a lot with their earlier stuff. But man, he just... And actually, when he tries to sing, and uh, we, can, we can talk about sort of the different voices of John Davis and the different vocal techniques of John Davis here at some point, but, uh, you know, it's just, uh, oh, John, it just, I don't you're, know. You're echoing, you're echoing my sentiments quite a bit in the, uh, what I would, Nick, well, well, what I'd recorded earlier that we're, cool, we're not cool. going to use, obviously. So I'm, I'm with you there a whole lot. <laughs> cool. But yeah, I heard that track too, Nick. They, they streamed it, uh, here in the past few weeks and, uh, I was like, yeah, that's John Davis talking about the John Davis stuff. And, and it's over, <laughs> yeah. uh, some music that, I, don't, I think it sucks, to be honest well, no, with you. Yeah, I mean, like, especially, like, again, if we look at Marilyn Manson, like, the music for Marilyn Manson is, like, totally, totally, like, weirdly different than it was back in the day. And they've had, obviously, like, the whole personnel around Marilyn Manson himself has changed within the band. Yeah. Uh, so they're going to have at least a different sound. Whether you like it or not, whatever, at least it's fucking different. And, I mean, with with fucking corn it really sounds so much the same and they've done a lot of weird shit obviously they had their god help us they had a fucking dubstep album you know <laughs> and um oh jesus i mean like he really lyrically hasn't changed at all but even not the I, and excuse me not just lyr- lyrically but vocally um and i mean he uses these same techniques over and over again um, when Mike was talking about it earlier, uh, it's not in the episode, but Mike was talking about it earlier and he said that like, you know, he, he almost like just talks in different voices. He's got one that's like Kermit the Frog and he's got I like, did? I no, made a you, great point you, there. You, you didn't say that. That was my point, but that it's totally okay. true. You know it. And, uh, he uh, all right, so he goes from Kermit the Frog to like whiny, 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 I'm corn. You know what I mean? And. <laughs> Uh, okay, I gotta jump got, in like, here because you're you're coming dangerously close close to plagiarizing my fucking message that you heard. Now listen, <laughs> please give it to here's us. Here's what I don't understand, um, and like I mentioned, and, and he's right. He does. I don't even know if Jonathan Davis can honestly sing. I don't know what his range is because the the first three albums, which admittedly, folks, are all I listen to, and I barely listen to the third one. If I'm gonna be honest with you, <laughs> skip through a couple songs. Of, okay, okay. And to be honest with you, but the first two, I, I gave a firm start to finish listen. And it's like he's singing, but he's trying to obscure his voice 
just with his own mouth. It's like he's trying to make it's like he's trying to throw processing on his mouth just simply by the way he's singing and speaking. But what I noticed is skipping through these songs, he I feel he's Adam Sandlering. Because every single movie, and I know this is going to piss people off, every fucking movie. Now I, I loved, I loved Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison, okay. But everything since, he does. It's the same guy. It's like I'm going to talk in baby talk, then I'm going to get angry, and then right. I'm going to come back and talk in baby talk, and then I'm going to get angry, and that's all. To me, it's all Adam Sandler does now. It's like it's the same fucking guy. It's like uh. The love guru, it's like Austin Powers. It's one fucking character. Drop it already. But to me, that's how he sings. And it's just, it's like, what is his range? Can he sing? Well, I can actually give you a better example. If you, um, I, I, I know we're all horror movie guys, so I'm sure we've encountered at one point yeah. or another the Uh-oh. movie Queen of the Damned. Oh, yes. Which he did the soundtrack for. Oh, I forgot and he about actually, that, yeah. He actually sings on a couple of the songs in there. And if you remember, in the movie, the character Lestat has this gothic grungy gothic band right a synth band of some sort and he actually sings on some of the songs on the album and it's funny because in the movie the character who looks nothing like jonathan davis they just have him lip sync jonathan davis's voice and it's jonathan davis's voice coming out of this skinny drugged up looking vampire dude it's funny as fuck that movie also i'm gonna warn you it's pretty bad oh it's terrible yeah but the soundtrack, like, it actually has, like, some of the songs. Amazingly, the songs that Jonathan Davis sings, they put on alternate versions that are sung by Marilyn Manson and David Draymond from Disturbed. Oh, wow. And, and the Marilyn Manson versions are better than the Jonathan Davis ones, but the David Draymond ones are actually good. And it's um, that, that you should seek out, uh, if nothing else. Wow. Wow, and Jonathan Davis. I mean, I, I seem to remember he had uh, he was he was actually on screen on a horror movie, like he had some. He was the devil or something like that in some horror movie. Oh, I gotta check IMDb on that one. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that he did something like that, but he has been on screen before. Um, and when you mentioned uh, Queen of the Damned, I'm like, oh, was it, was that the movie he was in? But no, he just did the, the uh, a lot of the music for it. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's and again, you know, just going back to distinctive things about Corn, you know, he he's uh, one of the reasons why they're uh, so distinctive because he, you know, you hear John Davis and that's John Davis and that's Corn because he does, you know, Corn doesn't have many side projects, uh, which is cool. Uh, of course, there's been a lot of, you know, uh, sort of members breaking off and coming back, you know, talking about you know Brian Welch and and. Um, you know, Fieldy did sort of his own side project there for a while, but pretty much, you know, they've all stuck to that band and done their mm-hmm. thing, especially John. Um, he doesn't have uh, a lot of side bands or anything that I'm aware of. Um, you know, the, many projects that he's lent his talents to or, or well, sung. other, other, other than his, uh, DJ project where he's, uh, isn't he DJ devil? Is that what you were talking about where he's the devil? It was something like that. It's very hazy to me, but there was something. It was it was on film. It was something. He was the devil or something like that. And well, uh, he he does have his whole DJ thing where he is a, you know, two turntables and a microphone DJ. Oh my! <laughs> so, so I mean, it, it's so hard to talk about corn without just laughing at them. And I'm sorry if you're a corn fan, uh, but we can't help it. I mean, it's so like it's so typical. This band got rich and. 
uh, then did a bunch of goofy shit with that money and with their career. That's exactly why we're doing this What Happened to episode series, where we did it with Metallica because they, they got rich and they did a lot of goofy shit with music. Instead of just focusing on being musicians, they were worried about their image and they got into all these other weird projects. And, you know, it, it's the same way with Korn where, yeah, they didn't do a lot of co- projects, but those that they did, we look back at and we laugh at Queen of the Dam soundtrack and the fucking vampire with Jonathan Davis's voice and uh, okay DJ whatever he is um, uh, J Devil actually I think is J Devil yeah <laughs> I've never heard it I don't know fucking shit about yeah. DJing maybe he's the best DJ of all the times but I wouldn't know yeah I I don't know I don't know um, going on now to Life Is Peachy um, the next album. I was actually really excited about because, like I said, at this point in time, man, I was a big fan of Corn. I loved their sound and I loved everything they did. I was a little, again, just a little put off by the emotional, you know, highs and lows that we saw from Jonathan Davis and the the all out ball fest that it was at the the end of uh, uh, their first album. But uh, I really wanted to hear uh, "Life Is Peachy" because one of my uh, one of the guys I hung out with in college, he's like, "Hey, man, I just got the new Corn album. Have you heard it?" And I'm like, no, I haven't got it yet. And he's like, you got to get it. They cover Lowrider, and it's like, dun, 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 dun. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. I can't wait to get this. And so I got it. Not to, I, you know, to me, life is peachy uh, delivered at that point in time. Um, mm-hmm. And I really, really liked it. Um, and I think uh, as I was playing that clip, I played a, a, a sample from Twist which was uh, Jonathan Davis doing one of his many, many voices, which is his <laughs> scatting voice, where he's... Right. Very uh, Max Cavalero of him. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. Um, Not in a good way. Not yeah, exactly. And that, and that turns me off. When, when someone starts talking gibberish or baby talk, I'm done. I mean, that's why I can't stand Red Hot Chili Peppers now. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I you know. know. I mean, when you when you start, I'm fucking gone. It's like speak to me. I'm not, and, and you guys know I'm not even that much into lyrics, but I will not listen to babble. I won't. Hmm. Dude, um, twist, <laughs> twist. Like, I brought everybody down. I'm sorry. No, it's okay, no. dude. You, you stopped the show. No, but dude, twist. Uh, also, add that to the list of songs I'd never fucking want to hear again in my goddamn life. Mm. Like I've heard, especially because it's only forty nine seconds long. That's the type of song that when you have your iPod on shuffle and that song comes on, you don't even bother skipping over because you're like, eh, I don't like it, but it's gonna be over in like a couple of seconds. <laughs> you know, um, there are good songs on this album. I like, uh, still I like Chi. I like Kill You, except for the strange elongated end piece to Kill you yeah uh where he just babbles into crying and i mean there's a couple other songs that i like back in the day that i couldn't get into on my current modern day listen like pretty much the whole middle of the album porno creep good god mr rogers uh you know i I don't know how you feel about that it all blends together um and that's that's why to me i'm terrible with song titles you know and even going through and listening to these albums again for the show i was like oh that's what that song's called you know, I, I just, you know, I'd listen to these and I just never really paid attention to, oh, yeah, this is Good God. And, oh, yeah, this is Mr. Rogers and and, right. and everything. You know, I, I just never, a lot of these songs just, because he doesn't really, lyrically, it, it's, it, it's not apparent. 
that that's right. a song, you know. And, I mean, I found a lot of songs that between Life is Peachy, Follow the Leader, and Issues, I thought, like, this song was on that album, and that song oh, was on yeah. this album. I was very surprised with where the songs actually laid, because, um, I, I mean, there's not a whole lot of variety and dynamics going on throughout these albums, which was good at the time, because they were releasing these albums, bang, 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 you know, every year and couple of months, they would have a new album. And I mean, dude, oh, listening back, okay, the song that actually I was like, you know what, this song I liked back in the day, but now I just think it's totally stupid. As a grown-up adult man, it's kind of hard to listen to All Day I Dream About Sex. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> back when you're a teenager, you're like, yes, this is a song I can relate to. I am a teenage boy with an unbeatable libido. Uh, but as an old man, I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, I think about sex a lot, but Jesus Christ. I haven't got the energy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. When, again, when I was really into this in, in Corn's heyday, I was in college, man. And I was partying. And I was drinking. I just wanted to have a good time, you know. And, and so Corn just spoke to me because if there is one thing that Corn uh, wanted to make apparent to the world is that they love to party. They love to drink. And they love to drink and drink and drink and drink and drink. And apparently take a lot of pills, too, now that, you know, we're finding a lot of that out. Um, but uh, they released, and it might have been right around the Life is Peachy. I don't know if Follow the Leader had come out yet. Um, I don't think so. I think, I think that actually, the, the home video, uh, Who Then Now, Bitches, um, was uh, sort of their, their thing right after Life is Peachy, I think. But I saw that video, and basically that whole home video, and of course, uh, I think they put some of their live stuff on there, and it's just a lot of you know behind the scenes and some studio stuff. But um, actually, uh, you know, uh, ironically enough, uh, Brian Head Welch, uh, I think, sums up the whole video and sort of Corn's philosophy, at least early on, and that he's like, if you're gonna if you're gonna hang with Corn, you're gonna listen to Corn, then you better be ready to drink, man. You better be ready to drink, because that's what we do. And then it shows scenes of him just chugging and vomiting and, you know, just the whole band just drinking and drinking. Um, so that was, uh, I don't know if you guys have, have seen that. I have it on VHS, actually, still. I bought it. Really? And, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw it back in you, the day. You Everybody lucky had little a... devil, you. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that thing's Put gold. That That's eBay. my retirement, man. That's... Oh, yeah. uh, man, I, I definitely saw it. I had a friend back in the day. I don't even remember it, not even vaguely. Uh, but I definitely watched it back in the day. Yeah. And it just, I, I, you know, so much, again, uh, thinking about Corn and how much of a fan I was and, and looking back, and I'll tell you what, I still enjoy uh, these first few albums immensely. And I mean, even Twist, I, I dig Twist. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just like it. I, I just, rhythmically, I, I dig the rhythm of it and I like how all the parts are working together and and uh, going back, it was awesome for me to listen to their first album and Life is Peachy and Follow the Leader. It just, I don't know if it's a nostalgia thing for me, where it took me back to like 1998, you know? And it's like, in 1998, I was 21, you know, so I could legally drink. And so, and I was just taking full advantage of that and really partying, want to have a good time. I loved heavy music. Corn Men, they were a drinking band, they were a partying band, and, you know... <laughs> It just did it for me. Someday I'm going to run into corn and I'm going to be ready because I'm getting all set. I'm building up my resistance. Right. Right. That was the Don't want to look like a pussy in front of those guys. Exactly. I want to hang with corn, so I better start drinking. 
I definitely yeah. found myself as I listened to these, even though I said I didn't enjoy it as much. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to be misinterpreted. I definitely had my eyes closed, head banging at my computer as I was listening to yeah. them. Uh, very embarrassingly so. If anyone else was around, I would not have done so. But <laughs> you know, um, it does put you back in a place. I guess when you're nostalgic for anything, it kind of wears on you that way except until adidas when i was like no no <laughs> it's still it, even at the time um it, oh at the uh, time i love that song every day i was it got stuck in my head every fucking day when oh, i was yeah. a teenager i dug it too but at the time i was amazed actually that that was one of their their hits i think the, probably their biggest hits off of that album um, oh yeah it got was. the heaviest airplay and everything and I'm like, really? You know, I dig some other songs a lot more on this album. And even going back today, I'm just like, you know, Adidas really doesn't do anything for me anymore. You know, I don't even, it, it's not particularly a really heavy song or, or anything. It's just sort of corn being corn. And, you know, yeah, they wore Adidas pants. That was another thing, man. They wore those, those oh, jogging yeah. suits like all the time, especially John Davis. <laughs> and he championed the Adidas pants throughout the oh, yeah. 90s. And there were kids everywhere in Adidas, dude. It was like uh, it's almost yeah, like they were a Run DMC. That's run, well, that's straight out of Run DMC hip hop. They made oh, Adidas yeah. big. Sorry, but uh, I'm I'm sure that Adidas was paying them like they paid NASCAR drivers to wear their oh, yeah. <laughs> fucking suits. You I know do what the I mean? same thing. Yeah, yeah. It was like uh, you know Kurt Cobain putting on a flannel shirt, and then all of a sudden, you know, all of Teen America is wearing flannel. You know, even yep. if you're living in friggin' Arizona or something. Wearing flannel, and so all of a sudden everyone was, uh, yeah. I still, it's so funny. I was wearing Adidas jogging pants yesterday. It's hilarious, and they're black and everything, and have the, have the stripes, and just uh, uh, cracks me up. And it has nothing to do with corn. It doesn't. It, right. You see Corey mowing his lawn in a tracksuit, just fucking kicking his heels and rapping his way around the lawn. Uh, getting all self-conscious like i hope nobody thinks i'm a perv because it's not like i dream about sex all the time i've got a kid man yeah yeah oh oh well life is peachy it didn't disappoint me at the time um but uh you know follow the leader now going in this was like 98 i think when follow the leader uh was uh released um you know i was getting into a lot of other kinds of music and i you know everything was just kind of crazy and so I didn't necessarily run out to buy this one. Although mm. when I did, I uh, gotta say, I dug it. I listened to it a lot. Although uh, this is probably the first Corn album that I was listening to back at that point in time where I skipped around a lot. I skipped a lot of tracks. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, this song, this album. All right, first off, we have to point out for those of you who don't know about Corn, this album came out at their true peak. They were molten hot, biggest band in the world, Corn. You know, yeah. according to Wikipedia, this is the album that brought them into the mainstream. And I mean, that's Wikipedia, but it, that amazes me because they were huge for me from their first album on. Right. Um, and I mean, well, th- this is where they had like the, the huge marketing and production. Even the uh, the cover of the album is very iconic. It was driven by dra- drawn by uh, Todd McFarlane, the comic book artist. Yeah. Um, you know, and the videos were in constant fucking airplay on um, MTV. Their biggest hit ever is off this album with Freak on a Leash, mm-hmm. um, which w- was not – it always annoyed me because I was like, man, there's such other songs on that album that <laughs> yeah. I love. Because um, for, for me personally, my favorite Korn song is on this album, Dead Bodies Everywhere. 
Nice. I fucking love that song. And still, when I hear it, like, that song fucking rocks. That was used to be, like, one of my top ten favorite songs. I love Dead Bodies Everywhere. Uh, the song. Let me clarify. The song. Um, <laughs> well, come on. You're I mean, a horror fan, too. So you, Yes, I am. Yeah. So I, that definitely was something I enjoyed, dude. And, I mean, there's, a, you know, there's other songs on here. Like, God, the Life is a good song. It was, again, you know, the... Ex- Dream Sports montage video song. Yeah. Uh, and there's a few others here and there. I still, uh, for the silly nostalgia of it, I love All in the Family. And I know all the fucking words to All in the Family, <laughs> even though I should not. Yeah. Uh, my Gift to You is okay. Um, but just about every song that I did not already mention completely is out of my brain. And I don't even know what they were. That's the staying power of those songs. Actually, you know there was I mean? there was a really cool cover uh, cover of Wicked, uh, the Ice Cube song. Oh, see, you're getting uh, it wrong. That was on. Uh, you're doing the same thing I oh, did. Oh, are you kidding? On, that was on, on Life is Peachy. Okay, and that's uh, okay. That was with Chino uh, from the Deftones, mm-hmm. and uh, which I that's a whole whole other thing I'm going to talk about is sort of uh, the bands around corn and, and yeah. family values and all that. Oh uh, man, that's absolutely <laughs> something you have to bring up here, dude. Cause the yeah. family values tour back in the day, that was actually my, what's that man? Oh, oh I, just, I was just agreeing. I, I was, yeah. Uh, no noise. man. Cause that was the, uh, the, the first big concert I ever went to was family values Tour 98. Jeez. And I felt like it was a path pathway into like my young adulthood. Um, it, that show, I still remember vividly. It was the opening band was Orgy, who pretty mm-hmm. much only got famous because they were opening for Corn. Right. The second band was Limp Biscuit, who, like, that was right before they were famous, and they brought Limp Biscuit. You know, they rode their coattails into the mainstream. Exactly. Uh, Ice Cube played with them, and I stood out in the lobby because I refused to watch fucking rap. And um, <laughs> who was the other yeah, one? But, uh, but, you'll, oh, but you'll watch Corn. Dude, I don't know, dude. I was a kid. I made a lot of stupid. It was like Rammstein there, or that um, was exactly yeah, why nice. I went to the fucking show because I was. I, I love Rammstein, and I think that like Rammstein obviously clearly benefited from touring with Corn at the time. Oh yeah, uh, and and yeah, Corn was on top, and they actually played all in the family with Limp Bizkit, and it was just like cool shit like that back in the day, man. And you know, there's a lot of other bands that Corn brought into the mainstream. I think um, Stained toured on one of the. Uh, it was actually the Sick and Twisted tour in 2000, right when they were blowing up. Yeah. And Korn pushed them into the mainstream. Uh, Slipknot, the same producer Absolutely. for their first couple albums, produced Slipknot's stuff. And, I mean, Slipknot was able to come up because of them. Um, yeah, you, you're saying Deftones. There oh, was definitely. obviously yeah. the, the feud with the Deftones because uh, Korn accidentally made the Deftones famous and <laughs> the yeah. Deftones kind of resented that. Uh, and then there's a few other bands that I'm probably forgetting here that I should be mentioning. That, um, that, well, I mean, uh, just think of know. the new metal genre. I mean, there's so so many bands that maybe Corn didn't directly sort oh, of yeah. send into popularity or get out there, but were so influenced and so like um, I don't know, like uh, ripping off Corn <laughs> in a lot of regards. I, you know, I could actually contribute because I do like a band. I have seen a band live that I thought did kind of take a lot from corn in a weird sense 
Cold Chamber, and I like Cold Chamber. Oh yeah, well, I, I mean, par- partly I'd say um, that they definitely had a lot of a corn influenced sound, um, but I think that they were unique enough that it's not so obvious. Whereas there are other bands that sort of grew out of the same mold as Corn, almost. I wouldn't say stealing their sound so much, but obviously, like Papa Roach developed from that. Oh man, Lincoln yeah. Lincoln Park sort of. Uh, I would say Lincoln Park actually, like for their first album, they sort of artistically perfected the the sound that Corn was trying to make. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and and I don't care about Lincoln Park really beyond that album, <laughs> by the way. And even them. That's another Zeitgeist band where I can't even go back and listen to that album. Even though I had it back in the day, I go back and I'm like, Jesus, man. Like, I don't want to listen to this fucking shit anymore. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. And uh, th- nothing, there's a lot of fucking bands like that. Did you ever that. hear Nothing Face? Oh, yeah, Nothing Face. Yeah, um, they were huge, especially uh, uh, their their album Skeletons, man. was mm-hmm. so corn. So corn. I mean, it, it was so, you know, at least new metal. And, uh, oh, yeah. Just, uh, and- it's funny, dude, because you didn't realize it at the time. But now that you have this uh, 12 years worth of perspective to look back on, mm-hmm. you, you can absolutely look at that and say that. Uh, there's, and, I mean, there's probably, like, a, a ton of other bands that we can uh, look at and say this for, uh, Mudvayne. And, you know, just, yeah. like, if I sit here every couple of seconds, I'm just going to spit out another band name uh, because there, there's a lot of bands that just took that heavy, heavy um, directionless sound. And I mean, in a lot of ways, I can absolutely see how that kind of damaged metal as a whole, um, because it turned it all into this radio-friendly type of new metal that really um, was just proliferated across the airwaves in the early to- 2000s until um, until you know music changed again and again, obviously. <laughs> Over time, but I mean, like everything that came out on regular rock radio sounded just like this. I'm going to say like four or more. Okay, um, Hoobastank kind of had a corn, a light radio corn sound. Mm, um, a whole bunch of shit I don't like. Everything yeah, you're saying is exactly. shit I do not listen to. It's amazing. Yeah, it was it was shit like <laughs> the bands bands who might have had one halfway decent song, and if you listen to the rest of the album, it was just like, what the fuck is this shit? Um, <laughs> Alien Ant Farm. Uh, yeah, oh God! Had a yeah, sound. Smooth, I, smooth. Known for smooth criminal. It's not even their own song, yeah. right? Taproot, Taproot, um, Switchfoot, um, even bits of Chevelle. All kind of sound like they're all derivative of Corn in one way or another. And it's funny because we're talking bad about Corn here and there in this episode, <laughs> but here we are giving them absolute like compliment where you can't where you don't even realize that they're influencing so many bands i say the same thing about like alice in chains which, mm. which is ridiculous that i just compared corn to alice in chains what? dude i know but bear with me for a second but there's so many bands that like i'm gonna out. say watch your ass that's all i'm gonna say right <laughs> oh. now is watch your ass uh, dude in the past 15 years how many bands do you hear directly influenced by Alice in Chains's uh music. And I think we me and Corey talked about that a little bit yeah. in um uh a previous episode and it, it's totally true and with Corn to uh, a much I, okay, lesser no, no, degree. F- finish tell me how many I, I can think of a bunch actually. Is that what Alice you guys Chains? determined or no? Oh yeah, we we named a whole bunch previously. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, the right. most obvious is always Godsmack, Godsmack who were originally sure. an Alice in Chains cover band. Um I didn't but, know that. Kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. why Godsmack they took it okay. from the song. Um, but, uh, there's definitely, um, they're both bands that had a heavy influence one for the better, 
much more so than the other, <laughs> that being Alice in Chains. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the great sort of uh, paradox here that we're dealing with, man, is that, uh, you know, Korn, you love them, you hate them, and they have a lot of ups and downs and some good stuff and some really bad stuff. But, man, the influence that they had just by touring with the people that they did, hanging out with the people that they did, and then everything that, the whole crop of bands, you know, terrible, most of them, that came up around this, you know, there's something to say for that. And it's to say, it goes back to, you know, this whole Metallica thing, too. I think the same thing was sort of true for Metallica. You know, they started out so strong and were so good and morphed into this whole weird badness that we don't even know what's going on now. And it's the same sort of pattern that we're seeing here because Metallica is, well... Well, at least I Metallica mean, took chances and put out weird albums, you know? Korn's put out some weird albums, dude. Oh. And not good, oh. weird. It gets and, weirder from here. Oh, oh my God. We're, we're going to cross that bridge. But oh. just like with Metallica, you know, during um, the What the Fuck Happened to Metallica episode, our first episode, we talked about how Metallica was also obviously influencing a lot of the sound of bands that would come out in the next 15 years. Even though everybody hated on, you know, Load and Reload at the time, there were definitely people like, you know, finding um, the musicality behind it and like just lifting the formula from it, if you will. And we covered that in a previous episode, so I don't want to get into it. But the same type of thing happened with Korn. I mean, to have the level of success that Korn did in the late 90s, that, that will never be re replicated again in this modern age because music just doesn't work that way anymore. You don't have the biggest yeah. band in the world. You have the biggest band in the world, but nobody still, nobody even fucking knows who they are. You know what I mean? Right. Like when, when I think of who popular metal bands are right now, I think of like, all right, Volbeat's pretty popular. They're almost mainstream. That's as close as you get. Five Finger Death Punch is kind of played on rock radio here and there throughout the country, but not like they're not a household name that's not like you're calling them Aerosmith right yeah hmm. uh, there I don't know that rock will ever um, rock heavy metal whatever will ever be able to achieve household name status again right right I mean given you know with the internet with Spotify and things like that you know it's so personalized now you know and right. everyone just has their sort of own uh, a circle of, of, of bands right. that they like which and, is wonderful, which is wonderful. Oh, yeah. I don't want to take anything away from that because I've never – I mean back in the day, a band like Volbeat never would have gotten any radio play just because they're so like weird. Uh, their earlier albums where it's like obviously Johnny Cash set to metal. Um, th there's a million bands I listen to that I would never have heard back in the day just because they would not have been popular enough to sell. Well, that's a great point because do you think we're ever going to have a period in time where there is one band that is basically conquering – uh, you know, a, a really broad genre like Corn conquered metal, you know, uh, sort of alternative metal mm -hmm. in the 90s. And, uh, you know, I, I would then say Pantera was sort of uh, their uh, companion uh, for Th their underground <laughs> counterpart. Right. For, for more thrash and more extreme uh, metal. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, pretty much, you know, Corn. They were pretty much like the, you know, the death clock of the 90s. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, they were as big as death clock. And, <laughs> yeah. and you could say that in the way that they influenced um, rock culture as a whole. Yeah. And I, 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 it's almost scary to look back on it and think like that. But, dude, when MTV was still playing music back in the day, it was really all about corn if you were going to listen to rock or 
happened to chance, uh, by chance, see a rock video, um, it was going to be corn. And then they stopped playing music, and then that was it. Yeah. But it's the same so, thing. I mean, going, uh, you know, 80s into the early 90s with, you know, Metallica, and then looking at, you know, the big four thrash bands in the 80s, you know, with Metallica, Megadeth, mm-hmm. Anthrax, and Slayer. You know, those were bands that were conquering the world. I mean, those were the guys that were out there, and everybody, if you were into metal, those were the bands you were listening to, and they were huge. But now, given where we are now, uh, with everything is so fragmented and so accessible to people, not necessarily a bad thing, but do you ever think, I mean, is there a chance of us seeing another sort of revolution like Korn, or even like, you know, slightly before Korn there was Nirvana with another huge musical revolution. Um, And before that, of course, Metallica just sort of taking over things. But can we see anything? I mean, nobody really listens to the radio anymore. And so can we have that widespread sort of influence where one band is just commanding everything? And everyone looks to this band for some sort of time and, and says, wow, this is amazing. This is nothing we've ever heard before. This is They're commanding the audience. Can we see that nowadays? Is that going to ever happen again? I think so. I would say, and this is, I understand a different genre, but even in a day like today when you can get music a hundred different ways easily, um, let's look at Skrillex, for example. There's a thousand, there's a million DJs, mm-hmm. but he is in command in a oh, day yeah. when you can get it from everywhere. I mean, and, and I understand we're not talking metal, but I mean, he, he, he is synonymous, his name, with, with the genre. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he's massive. So I don't see why everything's changing. Music's changing, especially how we receive it, how it's made. Kids are making great music in their, in their garages again, you know, high quality music. I don't see why this can't keep evolving. Right. One world government, and, yeah. folks. It's coming. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Not the NWO. But, no. oh, now the NSA is listening to this phone call. Um, shit. No, I, the exact example I was about to use, honest to God, was Skrillex. Um, I think that Skrillex, um, again, not necessarily a household name, but I think that that might be as big as you get. But And I would like to say, you know, like the logical part of my brain says, um, no, it's never going to happen. There's never going to be another big band, in quotes, right, like that does this. But as soon as I say that, they're going to debut their album tomorrow, and I'm going to be like, fuck, man, I sound like such an idiot. <laughs> I don't want to be plagued by that remark forever. So I'll say anything's possible, and I would love to be surprised. Oh, yeah, it's been a long time coming, man, because seriously, we haven't heard, like, this orgasmic band. Like, mm-hmm. this, uh, this album... You know, Kurt Cobain, I think, said it really good. And, of course, I keep bringing up Nirvana, but I think he was he had such a great mind for music and trends and, and things. Um, but he said, he's like, yeah, once every 10 years, music kind of resets, and you have another band that sort of redefines things. And he was able to cite things up until Nirvana, you know, these bands that managed to do that. But after him, yeah, there's Korn, there, you know, Pantera was doing their thing, of course, all along this time, and... And maybe a couple other bands that sort of mix things up, but you know that's been twenty years now, and I I feel sort of like what I mean, where is it? Where is this next big? What what band is going to come out there and really mix me up and be so awesome and just challenge my whole way of thinking and my whole uh, you know appreciation of music and blow me away? 
you know, where is that band that hasn't been that? You know, the last time I saw that, like I said, was like Nirvana and Korn. Um, and no band has really managed to bring it out. And I'm not downplaying any really, really awesome bands that have been out there since. But there haven't been any bands that have been like world changers. I mean, mm-hmm. Korn was a world changer. Well, part I'll of that is that. because, yeah, absolutely, and I don't disagree with that, but I mean, part of it is that people, everybody's a fucking hipster for their little niche market these days. Um, you like that little band that you discovered on Spotify, that you found on Pandora. You like that band. It's now possible for you to be a direct fan of a band. And when another band gets big, everybody fucking resents them. You look at it through like yeah. all these bands that do achieve like a modicum of success. These bands I just mentioned, Volbeat, they have haters. Uh, the uh, other one, um, the, what did I just say? Skrillex. Fuck. Yeah. Well, yeah, obviously well, Skrillex yeah. has haters. People hate him and they don't even know what his who he <laughs> yeah. is. Uh, go Google him if you don't know what we're talking about. Exactly. You don't have to like it, but at least you'll be well informed. Um, uh, Five Finger Death Punch has haters. When and uh, Avenged Sevenfold is another band that has like a little bit of mainstream success. People turn on them right away. Dude, fucking Machine Head has haters. Yeah, uh, and and yeah. I mean like you know you could name on and on all these bands. <laughs> Uh, someone's not brave enough to bring up Ghost, eh? All right. I was, I, uh-huh. Dude, that was on my list, but I was like, I don't know if I should bring it up again. I have no idea but, what you're talking about. Yes, but Ghost BC has two haters that I know of on this podcast. What? And, uh, what could that be? <laughs> yeah, I, two haters who've never even heard their music. I, I, I have. I have. Uh, have I think I think their their makeup, the guy's shut makeup up, is brilliant. Shut up, Mike. This is, a, this is a, another episode, man. Sorry. Yeah, we're going to have that uh. episode. We are. No, we're uh, not. I'm not sitting in on a goddamn Ghost BC episode. <laughs> it's bad enough I'm listening to Corn. No. I'll oh. tell you what, I don't I don't like Ghost BC's music at all either, but I can't wait to talk about it and at least make my point. So come on, Mike. Back me up, brother. Back me all up. Right. You got it. All right. All right. <sighs> uh so now I forgot what we were talking about. Um <sighs> Oh yeah, so every band that gets big, there's plenty of haters for. Hmm. Um and I mean, it's not just like, uh, you know, uh, go. I'd say the Ghost BC is actually pretty eclectic, and um, I'm actually surprised that people even like them at all. But uh, other than myself, because obviously I'm going to like something crazy like that. But um, when you go into the more like the more mainstream sound a band has, the more haters they tend to bring out, and um, I don't think that anyone can achieve that sort of success because they'd have to overcome like all the haters. Yeah. No, you're totally right about this whole hipster mentality that's uh, been so pervasive in our culture you know, mm-hmm. in the last uh, 10 years, man, at least. Um, yeah, it's kind of like, I heard this band first, and so I'm cool, and this is my band, and this is, you know, I, I like them, and you don't know about this band, but here's how cool they are. And then right. if you happen to like that band too, then that's sort of... Then they sold out. It, it diminishes that for me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, right, right. it's such a weird thing. Um, but no, you're right. It's, it's, it's a crazy thing, but I don't know to me. And I, I sort of do that too, because I like exploring independent music and, you know, my thing's the Melvins. Cause a lot of people hate the Melvins and don't listen to the Melvins, but I love them. So the Melvins are sort of my hipster sort of band because I'm like, man, I've been listening to them for a long time and, and you haven't. And, you know, I, um, I don't know. I can see that. But uh, at the same time, I'd like to share music as well. 
And it's it's mm-hmm. actually one of the main reasons I love doing this podcast is because oh, yeah. I love to share music with people that love music as much as I do, even more, uh, probably with you guys. But uh, I love it whenever we can, you know, reach a consensus or at least, you know, talk about music and appreciate it. And it's, I mean, that's that's really cool. So there's that element, man. I want to be that that hipster guy that likes these weird little bands that you don't. But at the same time, it's all about sharing. And if you appreciate this album that I'm like, dude, here's an album, listen to it. And you appreciate it. I mean, that does something for me, you know, and it it, uh, really makes me feel good that I introduced you to something that makes you feel good, too. And uh, you can appreciate. So that's a balance, man. It's, It's, again, a weird paradox. So many paradoxes out there. But um, I I think we got to steer this back towards corn a little because now Mm. we're just uh, talking about our favorite shit. Um, And uh, obviously, so follow the leader. Do you have any other thoughts on that album before we go on to the the next and the last one we can (laughs) reliably talk about? Well, uh, this was my first experience with Fred Durst, Um, you know, with uh, All in the Family. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, this is probably my favorite Fred Durst track um because actually he's he doesn't do this style of rapping he's actually really sort of a laid-back sort of rapper in this in this song uh and does a really good job actually i think with john davis but uh this is what got me into limp biscuit and again i have to admit that uh i was sort of a limp biscuit fan for a couple Uh, albums um, yeah because of this um (laughs) And it was the same, re- you know, again, it was new. I heard their cover of Faith, and so I was like, yeah, that's awesome. And I heard this, and then uh, what was, the, you know, the uh, they did their first album and the, the other one after that. And um, a lot of stuff with, like, Les Claypool and Primus, and, you know, their Limp Biscuit was everywhere. And so I was so into it. But, um, yeah, that's why. And uh, so. I, uh, I, I liked limp biscuit for one song because the first song i ever heard from them was counterfeit and i thought that that was cool and then after that i was like every other song from them i was like no i don't like this as much as counterfeit oh god what is this oh no oh no and then they became the the it band in corn's off season and it they blew the fuck up because that sound was so popular that sort of hip-hop infused right um heavy bass um, rap metal, yeah. Rap metal, yeah. And um, dude, I uh, I cannot like uh, you know nowadays I look back on it and I'm like yeah, Limp Bizkit they sucked, but back in the day it was like a fiery fury of how could people listen to this shit? Why are you wearing your red hats backwards? What the fuck is going on? I don't understand. You know, yeah. Uh, it was it was uh, like. Not well, just like a hipster thing, sorry. but an absolute rage thing where it was just like, I can't even understand how people like it. I'm sorry, Mike. No, no, I was, I just, you, you brought something up. I had a thought. Hey, you talk about rap metal, and no one's giving credit where credit is due. Thank you, Anthrax. Thank you, Public Enemy. Because well, that's yeah. when we first saw it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The two extremes had to come together, and that made it okay mm-hmm. for things that came later. It was like, oh, yeah, but it was like that. You, well, you banged your head to that. So what's wrong with corn? And I'm not yes. here to defend corn, but I'm saying that, you know, that a lot of that stuff made it okay to like that. Right. If right. I could make a terrible analogy, I would say that they were the Rosa Parks of rap metal. Wow. <laughs> anyway, yes. I uh, just broke, burned that bridge to the ground. So, 
Wow. The f- what the fuck were we talking about? That was about? actually that was actually pretty brilliant, Nick. That uh, uh, <laughs> on a uh, he's, he's, that. He's, his hands are up like, is it okay? Did I just fuck up? Am I in trouble? No, brilliant dude, on was, an offensive yeah, level. That's you know? great. That's, oh, uh, no, that's, that's okay. Great. No, no. Uh, but no, you're right. I mean, that's uh, you know there there was a lot of I mean, uh, Anthrax and Public Enemy. That was a great sort of thing happening at that point in time, and a lot of people I think dug it and sort of went with it. I don't know. This is probably another episode going here. You know, with uh, you know Rage Against the Machine and so many other rap metal bands that you know sort of were very popular around this time, man. But uh, Limp Biscuit, I think, took it. As far as it would go, and then they just kept going after that. And, um, you know, it Limp Biscuit stuff does not la- uh, stand the test of time. You know, looking back at it now and listening to it now, it's terrible. Mm. But looking back at this, you know, with, uh, you know, corn stuff around Follow the Leader, and they were doing stuff with Fred Durst and Ice Cube. Uh, well, no, not Ice Cube on this album. Sorry. No, Ice Cube was still on this album on a different song. Right, right, uh, right. Yeah, I'm Children of Wicked, the Corn. Children of the Corn. Actually, that was a cool song, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was one I skipped to when I was listening to this album. Oh, man. But, uh, yeah, overall... You could sort of see like the chinks in their armor forming that they didn't, that a lot of the songs. Oh, um, Asians, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry. The politically uh, correct term is samurai. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Dude, one time somebody made that joke and I laughed till I cried. Anyway, uh, sorry, we're getting more racist as we go. I apologize to the world. Uh, Yes. But. See, I learned I don't call them Chinamen. Chinamen's racist. I call them China people now. See, it's not so specific. Ah. <laughs> Holy shit! Wow, wow. It's okay. Corn. Uh, so corn. Yes. They uh, the, the obviously this album showed that they um, they they weren't going anywhere. They weren't really growing all that much, yeah. other than a few um, standout songs, um, that were that were actually better than pretty much the shit that they had done before. The other stuff wasn't going anywhere, and as we move into issues, um, you can definitely see how these issues. See how I'm segueing, boys. Uh, uh, see what you did there. That's good. These uh-huh. Issues continued to plague the band because you get a lot of songs on issues that sound indistinguishable from the last album. First off, falling away from me. I thought Falling Away From Me was on Follow the Leader because it totally sounds like all the songs off that album. But then there's so much filler on issues. Songs like For You that are like just dreamy, like nothingness. Even the opening track, Dead, is just kind of um, this ethereal filler, you know? With bagpipes, yeah. And, uh, right. Which is actually kind of cool. I, I appreciate that Korn is heavy and, and badass at points that they were. Like, John Davis still brought in the bagpipes. You know, from day one, he was doing that, actually, before they even <laughs> got popular. He would just bring out the bagpipes and play bagpipes. Right. And that's that's actually really cool, and I, I appreciate that. Um, but, yeah, come around to issues, and John Davis, not only are we sort of tired of, you know, your whole shtick up until now, but we're tired of the bagpipes, too. It just sort of doesn't work anymore. Oh. And, you know, it's... Again, he's a one-trick pony on so many so many fronts and i I think you know he does it well in that he sort of shifts it around a lot but in essence he has you know his whole little bag of tricks he's like what what am i going to pull out of my bag of tricks tonight Ooh, it's the bagpipes and ooh, it's my scary voice 
And right, it's the heavy song on the album. <laughs> right, my right. heavy, scary voice. Did um, this album, the singles especially, um, show you how they weren't going anywhere? Because like, "Beg for Me," "Make Me Bad," those two songs are almost indistinguishable yes, from one another. Exactly. And somebody, someone is just like the grinding corn that they sort of became, uh, you know. And back in the day, I used to like "Let's Get This Party Started" a lot, but I think it's just because it was the heaviest song on the album, and I really wanted to headbang to something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, looking back on it and playing it again now, that song's not like anything, you know? No, no. It's it's so uh, to me, issues on a whole is so uninspired. You know, they're they're just trying to do what they've always done. Uh, you know, they they're not moving anywhere, which was the trend. You know that we talked about throughout. You know their past three albums before this, but it's just corn trying to be corn, and to me, it's nothing new. And again, uninspired is the only word that comes to mind. It's it's uh, even. Let's get this party started. The first time I heard this album and that song, in particular. I'm like, yeah, corn. All right, let's let's go. And then I heard it, and I'm like, man, I sort of heard this song on Life Is Peachy before, didn't I? Wasn't this something? Right. Uh, yeah, you didn't quite energize me and get this party started here as much as I was hoping. So uh, <laughs> I'll put in something else, corn. So you know, and, and it it was cool. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, again, it's the ACDC of new metal. Uh, That's <laughs> a, a fair comparison, I would say. ACDC, where like. <laughs> Every single song has the same subject matter. The lyrics are interchangeable. The guitar parts uh, are the same, you know. It, it, exactly. Basically, you know, it's, Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what else really to say about issues other than I think the whole world just kind of went meh, you know. And that was like the, – the, part of it was the oversaturation. Yeah. They put out um, Blind – or excuse me, Corn in 94, the first album. Life is Peachy, 96. Follow the Leader, 98. Uh, issues 99, you know, it was wow. one after another after another, each album with three or four singles. So that corn was always on the radio. I mean, from a marketing standpoint, every band should want to be marketed like this because yeah. you will make a billion dollars, you motherfuckers. Like, it was just a constant saturation of corn until you pretty much got to the point that you just didn't want to hear corn anymore. And I think that the whole world pretty much reached that point at issues. And you still had people who were hanging on after that, but not really. <laughs> I'd I mean, like I to remember... point out, I was way ahead of the curve. I'd like to think of myself as the originator of not wanting to listen to corn. <laughs> yes, you were, the, you were OG yeah. hater. Uh, motherfucker. I mean, I remember dating a girl in college who still liked corn for no reason. <laughs> oh man uh, it, it, it was just uh, yeah. like this album is kind of almost like where it fell apart you know what I mean where like they could no longer wear that mask of like we actually only have one song that we're playing again and again because um, like I, I mean I don't know if you have much more to say about issues but after that like I mean this, the songs just become like singles because the albums are just like nothing after that to me. And I mean, maybe there are still corn fans and I'm sorry if you're corn fans who are listening, there might be a, individual songs on the albums that I'm just not aware of, but the singles were not doing it for me when I would listen to the albums. If a friend had it or something, I would just be like, this just sounds like more of the same. Yeah. 
No, you're absolutely right, and they they've definitely gone through a, a uh, production metamorphosis because with their first uh, several albums, um, they did a lot of stuff on the fly. They wrote a lot of stuff in in the studio, man. They were just having fun with it, and uh, I know especially hearing the drama that's going on now uh, because, of course, uh, you know David Silvera, who was their original drummer, is no longer in the band. And it's uh, some other guy. I, I, I don't know. Wears some makeup and looks weird. Just Joey hearing that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. Um. I'm, uh, I'm looking at the wiki. <laughs> They've had a lot of a lot of drummers. Oh yeah. They've, they've, they've yeah. recorded for it. Even Brooks Wackerman, who I, whom I love. So yeah. yeah. Awesome. But it's not David Silver. I mean, David, man, he was uh, he was really funky, you know, and did a lot of sort of off stuff and. Almost was more of a jazz sort of drummer than than anybody else, you know. I just sort of everyone else is sort of a metal drummer, and and David I think was sort of funking it up a little bit and changing it up, and you know was more of an artist, you know, a craftsman at, at, the, at the drums than anybody I, else was. And I, I think I he agree. was that was a big big hit on the band when he left. And of course, you know, head left, and you know, got saved, and now God's on his side. So he came back to the band, and you know, doing whatever. Apparently, Fieldy is saved too. Apparently, he's a he's a born again Christian. Um, still smoking a lot of weed, though. I'm hearing so. You know, that's uh, you know, you you do what you got to do. But you know, there's been a lot of changes, and uh, even from um, coming back to the production standpoint, how Corn would write songs back in the day, their first album, second album, third album. They'd write a lot of that stuff very spontaneously. You know, Fieldy would just bring a riff out of, you know, left field. And all of a sudden they'd play that and make that part of the song. And they'd, they'd go, they'd shift very uh, dramatically from uh, one thing to another. And I think that's really apparent on their first album. You know, uh, just going from something really heavy to something more hip-hop into something really heavy again. I mean, they would just sort of throw things together and have fun with it. Um, but there was a point in time and I know, uh, you know, uh, David, uh, has done a lot of interviews and been very vocal about what he thinks about corn nowadays compared to, uh, where they were. But, um, he said the producers, man, uh, that whole element has come into their songwriting. So it's no longer corn just having fun and, and doing stuff on the fly and being crazy, mm-hmm. but it's corn with the influence of producers saying, well, you got to, you know, put this hook into this song. Oh, you got to do this chorus again. Oh, yeah. You know, and so, and that's what it's become. And that's why I have not listened to Korn mm-hmm. since. And after well, issues, I was damn bored with Korn. I'm like, this is just Korn. They're releasing another album again. I don't care. And when I have dipped back into the Korn selection after that and say, hmm, I wonder what Korn has been doing since I didn't listen to them back in like 1999. And yeah. I'm like, this really sucks. What happened to Corn since Issues? Dude, I remember back right before Issues came out, there was something that got said that ties into a point you just made about the producers. There was, there was this interview that Fieldy gave. I don't remember if it was with MTV or I, I remember it being a video interview. And he was just like, look, right now, Corn, from a marketing standpoint, um, you know, we talked it over with our record label, and we don't see why there can't be a new Corn album every year to year to year and a half for the next ten years. We really could just work this out. And like, at first, I was like, "Huh, how about that?" 
But then I thought about it, and that is a point that dwelled and stuck with me in the back of my fucking brain for the past, like, ten years. I was like, you know, I I kind of, like, knew at that point, like, somewhere in my brain, I was like, that is selling out. Like, I don't like to, you know, when we watch, like, movies, I don't like to say that something's a ripoff of another. With music, I'm the same way. I don't like to say something's a ripoff. I don't like to say a band's a sellout. But that, to me, was, like actually selling out like looking at music as like a product instead of a product of creativity and art you know what i mean um and that really it bothered me but then i remember like i remember what solidified it too was like when i got the album for issues and this is commonplace these days so it's going to sound silly that i say this i remember i opened the album for issues and out of it fell like a uh um an ad like a little insert ad that was like, get corn gear now at corngear.com slash gear, whatever. Um, wow. And, you know, now that's commonplace. You open up a CD and it's like, buy our fucking T-shirt, please. We're starving. Right. But back in the day, to see something like that, it was just so stark to me that I was like, this is a record label I'm buying a product from. It's not even like about the music to me anymore and I, I mean you know maybe it's unfair that i'm saying that because i don't know these guys i don't know that that's really true but at the same time that is how i felt as a fan that is when i felt like betrayed you know in in a way that anybody does when you find out that what you're listening to is kind of fake oh yeah <laughs> and i mean yeah then it got got to the point where i remember we heard Y'all Want a Single was the first song we heard off take a look in the mirror and when uh, me and my wife heard it we were literally laughing when we heard it because it was just like, okay, this is so typical corn that it's almost a parody of what corn is. Hmm. And uh, that was back in th- what? That was fucking 10 years ago now. Yeah. It's just so silly because it's like, you motherfuckers, uh, you don't give a fuck. Right. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I saw them in 2010, not because I wanted to go see them, but I went to um, Mayhem Fest. Because all these other nice. bands I wanted to go see were going to be playing. I mean, I saw Hatebreed that day. I saw Shadows Fall was supposed to play, but their bus broke down. It, and um, it was the show down in Tampa, if you must know. I was visiting, and uh, that's where I was. Dude, um, like a, a bunch of other bands played. Lamb of God, uh, Five Finger Death Punch, Rob Zombie. And the last band, which I can't understand why they'd want to put them on after Rob Zombie, because the crowd there was like 100% for Rob Zombie. Dude, Corn shows up. They play, uh, you know, songs off their new album. Uh, their new single at the time was Oil Dale, which is fucking another terrible, typical Corn song. Uh. And, dude, they didn't even seem like they cared that they were there. Like, especially following up Rob Zombie, who, like, you can hate his music, you can hate his movies, whatever you want to fucking say about him. If you see him live, his shows are fucking energetic They're and awesome. Awesome. Yeah. awesome. Especially if you're a horror fan, you're going to fucking love it. But, um, you know, for for Corn to just come out and like lazily headbang to their old songs and hey, please like us still, okay, dude. They didn't actually. They, I I'm just kind of joking because they didn't even address the fans or the crowd like Jonathan Davis wow. on mic. Uh, it was just like we're here to play music and uh, you know, like what is it? Did anybody else see Scott Pilgrim? No, no, no. no? Okay, well go see that movie. It's fucking <laughs> awesome. Uh, but anyway, um, you know. The, our next song is called 
please hate you go or we hate you go die you know like th- there's just nothing to their music and they clearly didn't care the fans didn't care it was just an uncomfortable situation <laughs> wow and apparently the promoters didn't care because seriously what band goes on after rob zombie i know <laughs> like, unless you're like oh my god uh, metallica or something you don't want to follow up rob, rob zombie or just they, the house music going on you know you're <laughs> bring Gary Newman doing cars or something. I don't know. It's, oh, uh, God, that was great. Nine Inch Nails doing that with him was... Oh, oh yeah, I sent you that, didn't I? That was yeah, great. Yeah, that was awesome. Love that. Oh. Love that. But Corn, I'll tell you what, anymore, man, and I have not listened to them a whole lot, and like I said before, I just have uh, sort of poked my head in to their catalog and saying, hmm, what's Corn doing now? And every time I'm like, are you serious? Is this is this serious what they're doing right now? And I think the, the the main thing, man, not long ago, I brought up a video on YouTube, and it's like, Korn, uh, you know, 2012 or maybe early 13, performing, you know, somewhere, and uh, they're performing blind. And I'm like, hmm, you know, I'd be interested in hearing how Korn performs blind nowadays, you know, 20 years after the fact, um, <laughs> if not more. You know, I... I and it's it's a new drummer, and I didn't know this guy at all, and he's wearing some dark eye makeup and stuff and looking all weird. And, and then Fieldy comes out, and what the hell is Fieldy doing with this weird eye makeup nowadays? Have you seen this? No, like, he dude. has this weird, he does this uh, silver star around one eye and then sort of a circle around another. It's like he's trying to sort of be kiss but maybe he was a little drunk when he was trying to do it and it's sort of all silvery and sparkly and you know the, the other guys are they're wearing some eye you know John Davis is wearing eyeliner everyone's wearing eyeliner nowadays which you know whatever but this is like corn being it's like I'm in bizarro world now with corn like what what and i mean it was okay and John Davis is sort of balding now so the whole you know dread thing is sort of working itself into the skullet that uh I think works so well with uh, <laughs> Devin Townsend from Strapping Young Lad and uh, maybe the, uh, uh, which is the Death Clock member with the skullet. Um, oh, uh, Pickles. Yes, yes. Um, but not so much with John Davis. It, it pretty much shows his age. I might I might venture to say that even nowadays, and looking back, it, you know, it probably still holds true, but as John Davis has aged and, and whatnot, uh, <laughs> to me, he, he sort of looks like this homeless guy. And I think I told this to you guys before. John Davis, I mean, he's not an attractive man to me. You know, he's uh, he's sort of like this homeless guy up on stage, sort of belting out his his troubles. And well, I, I did find uh, those lyrics to "Never Never." If you'd oh, like to hear the lyrics I would love to, to the new song, <laughs> I need a good uh, let's laugh. see. Uh, I don't ever want to have to try. Although I lie, it never flies. I don't ever want to have to die. But deep inside, the death it hides, and I want to clarify and justify, so I run and hide, and I want to signify, so I pacify all the hate inside. Oh, 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 I'll never love again. Oh, 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 I'll never have to pretend. Oh, 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 I'll never love again. If I've ever got to pretend, never, never, never. Dude, that could have been a song. deep. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, come on. That could have been a song off their second album for all we care. I mean... I felt like it was. A, I was at a bad coffee shop, like in 1960, you know, 67 or something. <laughs> that was partly my fault. I will take the blame for that. Uh, no, no. I, I mean, the words oh, say everything. That's, 
uh, sorry, dude, but towards the end of the song, there is a part where it just says in um, <laughs> in parentheses, it just says scatting. <laughs> so there's more of the baby talk. I wish it never gets uh, old, but it really does, John. <laughs> Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry to all the corn fans that were laughing at your favorite band, but yeah. y- you know that there's a lot of goofy shit that went on here. Um, I don't know. Wow. Is there anything, uh, you know, past issues that we haven't already talked about that is worth noting? I have one thing, but I don't know if, uh, you know, Nick, you have anything. Mike, you you pretty much know nothing about corn at this stage, and con- correct? And content. And content oh, yeah, yeah. to say that. Oh, yeah, know that. Uh, no, looking here sure. at my notes. Um, yeah, but before we get off the older albums, let me say a couple things briefly. Sure. Um, I did very much appreciate uh, the, the, the different drumming uh, and the bass. I mean, obviously, it, it's, it's a real hip-hop style of drumming. And to be honest, the drummer, first couple albums could have been, and, and this isn't even a joke, could have been like the house drummer for like, Arsenio's band, you know what I mean? One of those session drummers that comes in and just really go with the hip hop, and 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 they all kind of started uh, that that way and dropping the bass and two uh, very capable musicians, and I do very much appreciate um, the bass and the corn songs and how deep they go. I do like that, but to me, the guitars on those first three were just kind of muddy, a lot of weird little scratches and noises, and, and a lot of muddy effects. And to be honest, I think it's just covering a very mediocre playing. I, I think the guitars on the first three albums that I listened to, very mediocre. Could have been could have been anybody from any band doing just as good with that much cover on top of it. But the drumming and bass really stood out for me. Good points, actually. Uh, and I'll. Oh my god! Did my fucking thing drop again? <laughs> <laughs> pure digital silence. No, I was going to see if Nick was going to talk first, but. Uh, you know, no, I'm good, dude. Uh, no, but actually, uh, Mike, great points. Um, the bass with Fildy, have you ever noticed? And I, I was talking with another guy. I was in a band with him last year and uh, jamming with him. And uh, we were talking about Korn and, and Fildy, his style of bass on the five string. And uh, he does this weird, his, his own sort of uh, uh, technique of slapping, where he doesn't slap just with his thumb. He slaps with pretty much all his fingers and just yeah. slapping, slapping, slapping away. And Fieldy mm-hmm. is much more fret noise than he is bass tone. Have you noticed that? I mean, a- a- anything that yeah. I think you can take away from Fieldy is, holy cow, he is banging those strings, man, because they are hitting frets. He is rattling frets. And just you as a musician, Mike, I know, you know, as a guitarist, you try to eliminate a lot of fret noise. And um, right. But he's confident, though, but he's 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 a... He, he's he's a capable player, and and a capable oh, yeah. player can leave that in, and it can really lend itself um, to the honesty of his playing. It was the um, forefront of his playing, actually. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and I and I would say, and to me, that would be the 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 yin to the yang of the guitars, where I think they're not so confident, and they're bearing under a lot of stuff. He was just out with it, and right. it sounded great to me. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. It's definitely cool sound, but. Uh... From a technique, I think it's very, very strange. And very yeah, unique, very unorthodox. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You so, know, absolutely. Uh, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, man. It's uh, very cool. But uh, And I'll tell you what, I loved the way that uh, the guitarist did those crazy little squeals and weird little sounds and, and things that carried a lot of the songs 
that they did, especially when John Davis was in more of his mellow parts of the song and everything. They do little, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. you know, little effects things. And I think, you know, again, looking back on Corn from, you know, two decades now, so many bands have tried to replicate this and tried to do the same thing that they did. Where I think we've seen that as a little overplayed and a little overdone, and I think I think it's it's been tainted, and it's hard to go back and look at them as being sort of the first guys that brought this to the mainstream. You know, even you know, again going back to Limp Bizkit and and the sort of rap thing, infusing a lot of hip hop with the metal. You know, it's hard to go back to this point in time where there wasn't any you know any of these guys that were trying to do the same thing and cash in on on this whole scene. Yeah, when it was um, still fresh. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, when Korn was doing it, man, the only other guys that were doing this back in, like, 94, 95 were, like, Rage Against the Machine. You know, Tom Morello was doing, you know, all these crazy little uh, weird squeals while, you know, they were rapping. And and so it was it was sort of a fresh thing and I think a very current thing. But I don't know. I really dug it. But I will give you that they are very mediocre guitarists. And that, uh, you know, I think they, they chose very simple riffs, a lot of palm muting, which, I mean, definitely, I mean, if you're, if you're going to be a metal guitarist, palm muting, man, the more of those that you do, the better you are with me. Um, and sure. I'll give you, I, I, you know, right along with that, which Korn did zero of, but uh, as far as metal guitar technique, if you do fake harmonics, another sure. huge, huge plus. But Korn, uh, I don't think they can actually do but, that technically but it but, but at the end of the day it completely paid off right right i it mean and very that, and simple what, but very awesome it worked exactly you know? they yeah. took it down to nothing and just were wildly successful so so that just goes to show you folks there's no formula there's right. no magic formula to becoming famous there's so many weird factors and so much of what i think we strive to do maybe in the end doesn't matter in right. that regard maybe not Anything else you would like to say about Korn, uh, you know, being that you've been sort of refreshed and uh, sort of introduced to listening to them uh, on any sort of scale? Um, any final words on Korn? Looking back, I mean, obviously, I still don't like Korn. I think it's pretty evident by the seven words I've said um, tonight. But I will say that having heard everything that's followed in their wake and the bands they brought up, uh, there's something to say, at least for the band that did originate it. So I will certainly give them credit for um, being innovators in their own little weird way. And I, I think in that regard, they deserve their success. Now, what they do from here, well, that's that's between them and, and the rich bands and James Hetfield. And, you know, <laughs> when you're the captain of your own uh, well-stocked, well-funded ship, you do what you want. But uh, you certainly can't deny that Korn um, started most of that genre and that everybody everybody that comes after has a has a, a debt of gratitude they owe to corn right right now nick uh going to you after uh after issues and you know we've talked about our disappointments with pretty much everything uh here on out is there anything else that sticks out to you in corn's repertoire well, yeah, I actually, um, I one thing we totally missed was my second favorite corn uh, song is um, their cover of "Earache My Eye" from yes! and Chong. <laughs> I love that. Uh, that's actually a good song of theirs. Yeah, uh, yeah. the hidden track on yeah. um, 
follow the leader, I think, right? Yeah, and, and Cheech sat in on that, too. <laughs> dude, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, fuck, dude, I don't really uh, have much else to say about these motherfuckers. I really think that they, uh, and I hate to say it, like I said, I hate to say it, but Jesus Christ, they're the template of selling out and um, just becoming the product over the art. And that bothers me on a um, on a moral and maybe even a metaphysical level when it comes to music and art in general. You just have to do what you want to do and not worry about making millions. But whatever, they're they're capitalists and they did a lot better job at it than me. Uh, so whatever, they're rich. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. they can laugh all the way to the bank. Yeah, there is something to say for that, you know. It's uh, mm-hmm. it is what it is. But I just have a couple things to add after the fact, and it's only because I was trying to be, you know, prepared for the show and you know listen beyond what I have before. And when you know, again, what's Corn been doing? I want to be, you know, have some sort of uh, familiarity with what they've done. They did MTV Unplugged. Have you guys heard oh, the yeah. Unplugged album? Um, I haven't heard it, but I, I mean, I, I read that they did it, and I frowned. <laughs> Actually, Nick, go take a listen to it. And you too, Mike. Oh, um, it's no. decent or what? Actually, they exhibit a level of musicianship that I was quite surprised with. Really? Yes. They are doing some things on guitar and things and different little runs and stuff that I'm like, Wow, you are corn that does basically, you know, a lot of power chords and that's it. I mean, they were doing some really interesting things with their songs. And I think it's worth a listen to. It's actually very interesting. It's on Spotify. But actually, both of the things I'm, I'm about to talk about are both on Spotify. Um, uh, what about their dubstep album? Oh, Have no, you... no. I, I, um, I've definitely but... heard Narcissistic Cannibal, their single <sighs> off that. And it is. Uh... Yeah, I'm sorry. Whew. Not what, I, not what my ears wanted to hear. No. The only other thing I'm going to bring up is, of course, there have been a, a lot of live albums and a lot of sort of greatest hits things. And every once in a while, they they include uh, unreleased stuff and, and things you haven't heard before from them. Well, uh, just to bridge this show and our very first show of this podcast, which is the Metallica episode, I'll give you guys, without going to your computers right now, Korn covered a Metallica song live, and they put it at, uh, I believe, at the end of uh, Take a Look in the Mirror. And uh, if, you could, if you could think of one Metallica song that Korn would cover, what do you think it would be? Mike? Can you, can you narrow it down to an album for me? Uh, because I'm, I'm so unfamiliar with Korn. No, no, that would, that would actually ruin it. Um, I'll tell you what, it was one that it was one of their MTV songs. Dude, I, I talked about it um, on uh, the first episode, actually. I talked about Korn's cover of it. So. Oh, no. You're... All right. Sorry. Wow. Stole your thunder. Mike, uh, well, do you I, remember I... this? Because <laughs> <laughs> yes. I didn't, apparently. Uh, okay, well, if it was one of their videos, it's... It wouldn't be one. That's too technical, even for corn. Well, um, um, am I wrong? Hmm. You're uh, maybe not right. Well, except oh. wrong. I mean, <laughs> you're right. right in guessing one, but you're wrong in not guessing one. 
It was one. <laughs> it was one, yeah. Really? Which actually surprised me. I listened to it right before we started recording tonight. Actually, I was on Spotify and, and just sort of brushing up and like, I got to hear this. And now, I was, you know, I thought I would hate it and say this is terrible, but they sort of held their own, you know? It, it, it wasn't great, but it was, it was competent. Now, I take issue with that song only because... When they play it live, a lot of times they stop right before it gets really heavy, or they'll just play the, you know, right towards the end where it goes, darkness, and, you know, right before darkness imprisoning me, yeah. they'll stop. They'll, like, fade out on the last bit of that, and it really uh. infuriates me. Or they'll throw it in in the middle of one of their songs, like at a break where there's a pause, normally either during um, Somebody Someone or um, which I saw them do it in 2003. They did it in Somebody, Someone, um, right before the really heavy drop in doom, doo, 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 you know, towards the end of Somebody, Someone. Uh, they played just the heavy part from one, and then Darkness Imprisoning Me, all that I see, absolute horror. And then, like, instead of, like, continuing to play one through its guitar solo, they switch back to Somebody, Someone, or they've done it with Freak on a Leash, where they'll do that same thing, Darkness Imprisoning Me, and then they switch back to Freak on a Leash. I'm always like, you motherfuckers just couldn't play the guitar solo. Uh, That's what happened there, dude. <laughs> Maybe but, they can. Yeah, but. actually, they can. I heard on this uh, on this album... Uh, go back to Spotify, man. It's right at I'm the end. I'm listening right now in my ear. And they do it justice. I mean, they're not Kirk Hammett, obviously, but it's like they can actually play. You know, they can they can do it. And, um, you know, that was uh, actually a little bit of a surprise to me, as as were, you know, Korn, of course, have done a lot of uh, covers that we talked about. Did you know on that Unplugged album, uh, another song that we referenced earlier on in this episode, but they did Creep. By Radiohead. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Is it good? It wasn't terrible. <laughs> you know, it's uh -huh. like I'd much rather hear Tom like York, a, but... I can read know. between those lines. Uh -huh. No, no, it, it was it's listenable. But again, I'm coming from a very jaded sort of Radiohead. You know, I, I, I'm a Radiohead fan, and I'm not going to talk a lot about that on the metal show. But, uh, you know... It's uh, I like Tom York and, and what he does and anybody that tries to be Tom York, it's it just they, they can't do it. And uh, so they do that. But their most recent cover, which to me is an atrocity, it, it's uh, it's god awful. Um, they did Pink Floyd. Oh, blasphemy. What song do they ruin? What do you think <laughs> that corn would do? Okay, well, let's be honest. They're not going to do uh, <laughs> they're they're not going to do Piper at the Gates of Dawn. They no. probably only know one album, which is going to be The Wall. Yes. And um, what song do you cover if you're going to cover something off the wall? Oh, well, actually, I can think <laughs> of a bunch, but as oh my god, no, I think I've heard it. Where where where, where Davis is going? Like we don't need no. Yes. Was it was it them yep. or was it Limp yep. Bizkit? That was it. Oh my god. Parts one, two, and three. They did the Good. whole. What? Oh yeah, yeah. It's an. This is terrible. I mean, Creep is a masterpiece compared to another brick wow. in the wall. It's. It's. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's another thing. I mean, they're they're trying to still do covers, man, but they're they're just they're way out of their their whole coolness element that they used to be in like twenty years ago. 
and that they used mm-hmm. to be innovative and they used to be pushing boundaries, but now they're just trying to be like, oh, well, how can we be cool? Oh, the kids like well, Pink Floyd, don't they? Let's do Pink Floyd. And by, yeah. by the way, yeah, with a time machine back to 1978. But exactly, uh, exactly. But, okay, but let's be honest though. When you're rich and when you're famous, you can't write songs about struggling and being poor and having these problems anymore. It's probably <laughs> a lot easier to just do kick ass. I'm not saying the covers are kick ass, but to do kick ass covers of songs you like than oh, to yeah. sit down and try to tap into that creative vein and start from scratch. Right. I imagine it can't be easy when you've got everything in the world at your fingertips yeah. honestly mm-hmm. yeah. and don't get me wrong i mean these covers are uh, very sporadic you know and they do release a ton of original stuff which is not good um but you know these are sort of thrown in there every once in a while and i, I do like to hear covers uh being done you know especially by bands that i like and uh, usually i like corn covers like i said i even liked lowrider and uh but Anymore, it's like they're just really trying too hard, and they're just not not very uh, accessible or, or very relatable nowadays, and I don't know. And I apologize. Like you guys have said, I apologize. I know there are a lot of hardcore corn fans out there that love everything they do, and I just I don't understand it. Yeah, I, I, I can't I uh, be on board. I don't know. Anymore. You guys go Google a picture of Fieldy right now in his weird ass makeup because he'll be just thrown into bizarro world as much as I was when I saw it. I'm like, oh my if god! We're, if we're googling, here's a, here's an odd fact that I don't understand. Okay, folks, I know so little about corn that I was actually on the Wikipedia page, which uh, for corn, and I looked over and left in the middle of. Uh, you guys were talking about an album. I clicked on the Polish version of the corn page, and for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. Now, the band all has their <laughs> nicknames. You can follow along playing the home game of our podcast, folks. Uh, the pictures on the right on the Polish version has a picture of uh, James. is James, quote, Monkey Schaefer. And below that, it says Jonathan, quote, HIV Davis. Um, <laughs> is his name HIV? Because it only appears on the Polish Wikipedia page. And if you scroll down, it does say uh, band members, Jonathan, quote, HIV Davis. <laughs> James oh Schaefer, Reginald quote Fieldy. What the fuck? I see HIV in Poland. <laughs> I feel oh, bad about talking about his whole homeless look at this point. Maybe this is something deeper yeah. than. Wow. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even bullshitting, folks. Oh, look, I'm like, I wanted to say it early. I'm like, I think I'll say that for the end. Like I can't even fun. talk now. Oh. <laughs> it's in quotes, like, oh, that's yeah, that's uh, HIV. that's HIV. Uh, maybe it means something different in Poland. I know in, in Spanish it's V-I-H. They say it backwards. I don't know. Maybe it's something else. Wow. Weird. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm at a loss. Tells yeah, you how I much I'm corn clicking around for the Polish page in the middle of the podcast. But, hey, at least I finally brought something to this goddamn episode. Oh, Yay. my God. <laughs> All right. Well, I think summing it up, you know, corn has been great. Influenced a lot of bands, uh, put out some great music that I think some people uh, can't appreciate. But again, there's you know no looking past uh, how much money they have made through record sales and how many bands have been influenced. And again, they were another one of those world changers that we don't see many of. So you got to give them props. They have their mark in, in music history. I mean, you can't go through, uh, especially music of the 90s, and not mention Korn and what they did. So... Ah, oh, man, that's where it is. You guys got anything else? Are you 
about ready to wrap this up because <laughs> my Mike, you completely erased my brain with that last one. So I don't, man. Did you see it? Isn't that ridiculous? I don't that, understand why. That is. I'm ready to take <laughs> a screenshot and put this on on uh, Facebook or something. Just uh... yeah. and folks, all kidding aside, thoughts and prayers for Jonathan Davis. Okay, stay strong, buddy. <laughs> okay, yeah. at least in Poland. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, it's been another uh, really, really fun, not quite so epic episode uh, like we had with Metallica. But uh, I think another, uh, you know, fair and fun appraisal of a band that, uh, you know, has had a lot of highs and lows. So, uh, man, it's uh, it's been great. Uh, man, we're going to do another album review next episode. And I've talked about that. Um, it relates to an interview that I recently did uh, with uh, Hank 3, and it's going to be one of his band's uh, projects. I mean, he, he does so much, it's going to be hard to define exactly what this is, but it's an album that he released uh, a few years ago called Ass Jack. And um, I believe you guys, have you ever, have you listened to Ass Jack before I sort of brought it up here for review? Never I even never, heard of it, but I never love it now. I love yep. it. Oh, I do. Far out, far out. Well, I hope we're going to get into a lot more discussion about that and about Hank 3. You know, if you haven't learned enough about Hank 3 and, and sort of what he does from that interview, there's so much more to him. And uh, it's not only Ask Jack, but go back and listen to Arson Anthem and Super Joint Ritual and so much more. I mean, he's he's a crazy, crazy artist. But we're going to review Ask Jack, which is available on Spotify. So if you uh, are a Spotify user, you can go check that out. Ask Jack, all one word. Um, of course, on Amazon and everything great, but uh, that's uh, what we'll be talking about next time. But guys, thank you again, uh, you know, Mike, especially for uh, putting up with the heat where you are and uh, sort of your crazy circumstances, man. But uh, for talking some corn, and I think I think we've all grown a little bit in the whole, you know, corn uh, understanding at this point. Would you agree? I learned a lot tonight, so yeah. I do appreciate them more. I do. Yeah, that's I. Cool. Uh... I I, I uh, enjoy the feelings of nostalgia that I can uh, bring up with corn, but I don't want to revisit it for too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'll be a while before they're mentioned again on this show, I'm sure. It's been fun. Of course, New Jersey Nick over there on the Slasher Cast, man, doing great stuff. Thank you. And, thank um, you. Yeah, Slasher Cast. Um, and uh, you guys can follow us, Devil Horns, at Devil Horns Cast on Twitter, or look us up on Facebook. Please um, come and find us and tell us what you like or don't like. Uh, I don't care if you write it into an iTunes review or whatever. If you want us to review something, if you want us to look into something, or you want to hear us talk about something, fucking let us know. You have to help direct this fucking show because we're <laughs> clueless. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's. Uh... It's crazy. Mike Zombie, man. Thank you again. Um, what else is going on over there, man? You, uh, of course, a little dead. A little <laughs> yeah. dead. I'm, I'm three, sorry. I'm sorry. Three yeah. more episodes on deck. Oh, I was, yeah, yeah I was kind of caught, um, caught by surprise. Uh, yeah. A little dead podcast will uh, be around for three more official episodes. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just become a machine that, uh, because to be honest, uh, Mick Pierce does every bit of the work. And I just send him a review in the wee hours of the morning on uh, early Saturday morning. And it's just, he, 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 did, he does a lot. So uh, he's going to step away from the show. And I, you know, and, and we are still going to get together on occasion and do a zombie mob because, uh, you know, he's still uh, 
He's going to miss it and want to come back and do it, but Little Dead will be dead in three more episodes. But luckily, we have 400,000 episodes you can check out yeah. uh, on iTunes <laughs> and everything else. So uh, you can just catch me apparently at Del Taco or uh, maybe even the mall in the food court uh, in the future. <laughs> and here, of course, on yeah. uh, Devil Horns. And buy him some food. He's, he's desperate. Yes. It's sad. I'm famished. I'm famished, people. Please. <laughs> yeah. Please. Well, I do hope McPierce does uh, keep his head sort of here in uh, podcast land and not disappear from us completely because uh, he, he's been a good friend to me over the past several years, and I appreciate what he does, and I've listened to the Little Dead podcast for uh, ever since it started, man. He's the man, and uh, I appreciate him more because uh, he introduced me to you. And that's uh, that says Aww. a lot. And, uh, it's very very cool. But McPierce, your show will be missed, man. And uh, but you better not go away, man, because I'm only a couple states away from you, dude. And I can drive. Yeah. I know he can. I've seen him. Yes. Um, I do have a suggestion, though, since everybody's listening. Uh, since uh, that show was ending, think we could uh, maybe get a misfit boy here on occasion as a guest. I guarantee you, you man. Yeah. He can certainly he can talk at length and uh, and he's well steeped in metal that I can assure everyone. Well, he got a hold of me on Facebook and just to spring this on you guys, he was like, "Dude, you guys really should do a suicidal tendencies show, just sort Ooh, of a recap good. or some sort of you know sort of what we uh, what we talked about now." And there are a lot of dynamics you know going on with them, but uh, that would be a really fun thing to uh, to do. So, but of course he's up for anything and he's. Pretty much one of the most awesome guys that I know. So agreed. agreed. I would have no qualms with that. But uh, it's been a great show. Thank you guys for hanging out tonight and enduring some corn talk, guys. Thank you for another great show. And uh, let's do this again with some Astro. Nice. All right. Yes. Rock and roll. Good night. You've been listening to Devil Horns. Join us at devilhorns.org.
Yeah.